Well, hey, good morning, everyone. How are we? Good, good to see all of you. We are at the very beginning of a brand new series that we are calling Tearing Down Strongholds. Tearing Down Strongholds. And here's what we are expecting. Here's what we are wanting to go after during this season. Uh, We are wanting to, each and every one of us, humble ourselves in such a way where we would look at and examine our own hearts and be sensitive to the move of the Spirit even now as He prompts us and convicts us of of, of the strongholds in in our own hearts. That's what we're going after in this series. And a stronghold, for those of you who weren't with us last weekend, and just as a reminder for all of us, a stronghold, we're defining it like this, is a place that has been fortified in order to protect it against an attack. That a stronghold is a place that has been fortified to protect it against an attack. And since this is the reality of what we're dealing with, it is going to take a lot of hard work to tear down these strongholds in our lives. It's not just going to happen by passively listening to a sermon week after week after week. We need to be resolved individually, each and every one of us, to go after these things in our own hearts. Because each and every one of us, we are wrestling with, we are struggling with strongholds in our hearts. I have them. You have them. We all have these strongholds. Now, I believe that God is going to use this time right now in a powerful way. I believe he's going to open our eyes to the reality of some strongholds that we might not be aware of in the moment. I believe he's going to um, convict us afresh of certain strongholds in our hearts that we have neglected and that we have allowed our hearts to grow hard to. I also believe that God is going to show us the steps that we need to take moving forward from this place in order to see victory over some of these strongholds. But if we are serious about really going after what God would have for us during this season, listen, it's going to take some work. And it's a choice that we have to make. You are faced with a choice this morning. You are faced with a choice during this season of our church to go after that. Choices are important. Decisions are important. Think about your life. Think about the biggest decisions you've ever made in your life. The biggest decisions you've ever made. Just think with me for a moment uh, about the history of your life. If you were to list out the top three most important decisions that you've ever made, what would they be? What would be the biggest decisions that you would say had the most impact on your life? My hope would be that for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, that that choosing to submit yourself to Jesus would be at or near the top of that list, having an impact on your life. Maybe it was choosing to say, I do, to someone. Choosing your spouse. Maybe it was, I don't. (laughs) Maybe it was moving out of state or moving out of a, a city for a job. Maybe it was choosing to leave a job. Uh, Maybe uh, it was choosing to have children. That that decision has massive implications and massive consequences on your life. Maybe it was choosing where to go to school, to college, to, to university. And I think we can look back on our lives and the story that we tell ourselves is that our lives are almost exclusively defined by the biggest decisions that we make in our lives. That our big decisions in our lives shape and direct and define our lives. I think what many of us are unaware of, though, are the power 
of the small decisions that we make every single day, day after day, hour after hour, moment by moment, the small decisions we make and how they shape and how they define and how they direct our experience of life on a day-to-day basis. How many of you have ever heard of the man John Wooden? John Wooden. John Wooden was UCLA uh, men's basketball coach from 1948 to 1975. And toward the end of his tenure there as their coach, he won like 10 national titles, um, just unprecedented success. And, And he's sort of cited a lot for different life quotes and leadership quotes. And he said this about the small decisions we make. He said, there is a choice you have to make in everything you do. So keep in mind that in the end, the choice you make makes you. He was also a poet, apparently, as well. I think we would say, with reason and personal experience, that a quote like that rings true. That our lives are not just this um, uh, composition of, of the big decisions we make, but, but, it's, but, it's, but it's our big decisions plus the small decisions that we make in our lives on a day-to-day basis that shape and direct and define what we experience, whether we recognize it or not. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever heard of the term uh, a primrose path? Is that familiar to anyone, a primrose path? I'd never heard of that term before I was doing research for this message. And apparently this term was coined by William Shakespeare, and it means this. A primrose path is the pursuit of pleasure, especially when it is seen to bring disastrous consequences. It is the pursuit of pleasure, especially when it is seen to bring disastrous consequences. That's what a primrose path is. And there's this thing called the primrose path theory. The primrose path theory, it's a theory developed by a man named Howard Racklin. And it's this. It suggests that addiction, addiction often results from the impact of an individual's seemingly inconsequential decisions on their future preference. That is to say, a little more simply put, that addiction doesn't just appear overnight after one big decision, after one big choice, but addiction forms little decision by little decision over time, over the course of our lives. And so the stronghold that we're going to talk about today, that we're going to discuss today, is addiction. The stronghold of addiction. And I know in a room this large with this many people, we bring in a lot of thoughts and ideas about what addiction is. When we talk about addiction, maybe some of us think about drug addiction or alcohol addiction or addiction to prescription medication. And we think about junkies in the street and people living in squalor and torching their lives over their addiction. Maybe some of us have a more personal experience with addiction, and, and we've struggled with addiction, or a parent has, or a loved one has, and we know the nuanced and varied nature of how addiction can invade our lives and wreck our lives. Maybe you studied addiction or something, and you have this sort of clinical understanding that addiction is a disease, and people suffer from it, and they have no choice when it comes to addiction. And so I get that we come into this room with a varied understanding of what addiction is. And what I hope for us today 
is that we not only broaden our understanding of the effects and what addiction is, but that we would think, most importantly, biblically. That we would be thinking biblically about addiction. And so for clarity's sake, here's how we'll define addiction this morning. Addiction is the bondage of the heart and body to something that produces immediate comfort and relief. Addiction is the bondage of the heart and the body to something that produces immediate comfort and relief. And you can scour the scriptures, you can go through the Bible, and you will not find the word addiction once in God's word. But that does not mean that God's word does not speak to addiction, to enslavement, to bondage, to sin. You know, Peter writing uh, to uh, the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, he's writing to these churches that are suffering and undergoing persecution, and there are these false teachers that have moved in. And these false teachers are teaching this false gospel, and they're leading people in the church astray to give in to their desires, to do whatever they want, whenever they want. And Peter writing to this church in 2 Peter 2, verses 18 and 19, he says this, He writes, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they, those are the false teachers, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. That is, things that would provide immediate comfort and immediate relief. That's what they entice with. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. And most importantly, right here, For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Listen, this is what addiction is right here. Addiction is enslavement to sin. Addiction is being mastered by something. It's being in bondage to something. And addiction is not a term that is exclusively reserved for drug addiction or alcohol addiction or addiction to pornography. Those are certainly things we can become addicted to, to, and they are uh, inordinately destructive in our lives. But listen, all sin can be addictive and habitual. Listen, even good things in our lives can be addictive and we can be enslaved by. So what might that be for you? What might it be for you? Maybe it is drinking. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's video games, social media, your phone, coffee, working out, work. Remember, if we're going to see God work in our lives this morning, we have to humble ourselves looking at our own hearts, examining our hearts, asking ourselves right now, is there anything my heart is enslaved to, is mastered by? And maybe you're unaware of what that might be. Maybe you've never given this a second thought. And so what I want to do right now is I want to run through some heart attitudes, some red flags that might be true. If any of these things are true, if you would say, yeah, yeah, I agree with that statement. That statement is true about me in this respective thing that I might be mastered by this thing. I might be mastered by something when I can't stop thinking about it. 
I might be mastered by something when I can't stop thinking about it. This is this idea of fixation. Uh, What is the thing that your mind drifts to when you allow your mind to drift? It's on the forefront of your mind, and maybe it is drinking. Maybe all you can think about as you are trying to get through another long, boring day of work is that warm buzz of alcohol washing over you as you finally get home and sit on your couch. That that is what you go after, that you can't not think about that. And what has once become two drinks is now four drinks, is now six drinks, is now eight drinks. And you can't stop thinking about that thing. I might be mastered by something when I make sacrifices for it. That's another thing that might be true. I make sacrifices for it. I think it's important to to know that it's, it's noble to make sacrifices for things. But that's not what I'm referring to here. I'm talking about when we sacrifice good things, when we sacrifice great things, when we sacrifice the best thing for the thing we are enslaved by. I'm talking about sacrificing time with your children because you can't say no to the thing that you're enslaved by. I'm talking about not being able to be wise and generous with your money because you can't say no to your shopping addiction. What is it for you? What are you sacrificing? I make sacrifices for it. Another one is this. I can't say no to it. I can't say no to it. Is there anything that if you were asked to put that thing down, to not participate in that thing, to say no to it for a season, that you would just be able to, you, you couldn't do it. You would, you, would, you, would, you would be relentless in holding on to it. You know, can I be honest with you guys? For me, uh, one of those things is my phone. I am so addicted to my phone right now. Uh, for Lent, I tried to not be on social media for like the whole time. I lasted like three weeks. I deleted the apps and then I reinstalled them and I, and I couldn't say no and it seems like a trivial thing, but that's a problem. That's a problem when we can't say no to something. What is that thing in your life? Maybe it's food. Maybe you want to say no to this thing, but late at night you find yourself binging every single night. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've met with people, tears in their eyes, and they're like, I want to say no to this thing. I don't want to give myself over to this thing, but I don't know how to say no anymore. I feel so helpless. I feel so hopeless. Have you been there before? I've, I've, I've been there before. What is that thing in your life? Is there anything in your life that you can't say no to? One more thing. I'm a different person without it. I might be mastered by something when I'm a different person without it. And this is a telltale sign of addiction. Does your character, does your disposition, do your emotions change when you don't have that thing anymore? You know, I remember uh, my wife Carrie and I When our kids were younger, um, growing up, in order to put them to bed, um, they needed a pacifier. Anyone else's kids like that? Like you raised them in that stage of life to need a pacifier? And, And if they were in their crib or if they were in the back of their car and they didn't have a pacifier, they became completely different human beings, like demon children, yeah? And it was like I, I would pay good money. I would go into severe debt in order to get a pacifier to shut this kid up. Why do they they respond that way? 
because they had grown so used to it. They needed it. And they were different people without it. What's that thing for you? What's your pacifier? What's your thing that if you don't have it, you become a completely different person? What is it? Sometimes it can be a good thing. Sometimes it can be coffee. I can tell on the look of some of your faces, you didn't have your coffee this morning. Maybe it's exercise. I, I, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says this. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. And so there's a very real chance that the thing that has mastered us might very well be a good thing. Maybe it's money. And you work hard. And you go after money and prestige and image. And you're enslaved to it. And hopefully, if we were unaware going into this conversation that these heart attitudes, if any of these things are true about us, that we would now have at the forefront of our mind the thing that, that masters us. And even now, we would begin to sense the Spirit's conviction in our heart. Don't push that away right now. The thing that the Spirit is saying, yeah, that's the thing right there. That's the thing there. And so here's what I want to do right now. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out and open up to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15, and we are going to look at a parable that I'm sure many of you, most of you, are very familiar uh, with. And I want to look at this very familiar parable through the lens of addiction and see that while, yes, the pathway into addiction, into enslavement, into being mastered by sin is made through a series of choices, that also the opposite is true that the pathway out of addiction can be made by a series of choices because, listen to me, this is very important here for our conversation this morning. At the heart of addiction, the heart of addiction is a worship disorder. The heart of addiction is a worship disorder. It is not a clinical disorder that we have no power over. Now, that is not to say that in more serious cases with addiction, it is going to require the help of medical professionals because there is psychological and physical components involved. But what I'm saying is I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm just a pastor. And what I see in God's word is that ultimately at the root of addiction is our heart's desire to find comfort, to find relief, to take refuge in something, someone, anything other than the creator of the universe. That that is at the root of addiction. And so if you have your Bibles open to Luke 15, uh, go ahead and look there. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 11, and we are going to look at the parable of the prodigal son. This is the third in a series of parables that Jesus is teaching about the love of God, the love of God for broken and hurting uh, and lost people. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 15, you'll see that sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors have gathered around, and Jesus is teaching about God's love for lost, broken, and hurting people. And he teaches a parable on the lost sheep. He teaches a parable on the lost coin. And here we have this parable now on the lost son. And look at verse 11. And he... That's Jesus there, said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now listen, this would have been completely unheard of back then during this time. This would have been so disrespectful. This would have been so dishonoring. In effect, what the son was saying to the father here was, Dad, I wish you were dead. 
I wish you were dead. Like if one of my kids said that to me, it would not go well for them. Like at first I'd be so hurt and I'd be so sad. Like why would you say that to me? And then I'd be so angry, right? Like, like Xbox going on Facebook Marketplace angry. That's how angry I would be. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Like bye-bye Fortnite, it's over. Wouldn't go well for my kids. But now listen, the culture where this is happening, this interaction would be even more devastating. The importance of obeying and honoring one's mother and father in this environment was, was of the utmost importance. Like, like this son, by saying this and rejecting his father, uh, could get beaten for this, could be killed for this. Look how the father responds at the end of verse 12. And he divided his property between them. And so here's, here's the first thing I want to draw out of this parable as we look, through it, look at it through the lens of addiction. The first thing I want us to see is addiction is rooted in misdirected desire. Addiction is rooted in misdirected desire. Now, nothing in this story gives us a context or, or alludes to why the son was making this choice in the moment. And many of us are familiar enough with this parable to know that it is going to end with the son enslaved in a foreign land. That's not a spoiler alert, I hope, for most of us. But what I want us to see here is that at the very beginning of his path, listen, was a choice. He made a choice, a choice to disrespect, a choice to dishonor his father, and that this choice was ultimately rooted in misdirected desire. He wanted what he wanted, when he wanted it, how he wanted it. The initial steps of addiction, of, of enslavement, always, always, always start with decisions, with choices we make that are rooted in misdirected desires. The foundation of all addiction finds its roots in two very simple words. I want. I want to feel good. I want pleasure. I want comfort. I want, I want. This is where addiction starts. And as I mentioned earlier, sometimes these desires are for good things, for my bills to get paid, for good health, for pleasure. Nothing wrong with pleasure or rest or justice. The problem is when we don't keep those desires in check and they become misdirected, misguided. We place our hope for comfort and relief and pleasure in those desires. James 1, 14 and 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And these desires gain strength in our lives, and, 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 and they wear us down, and we begin to give into them over and over and over again. And listen, here's the problem. When we give into misdirected desires, we think that these desires are going to deliver on what they promise. But listen, as we try to find our ultimate comfort and relief and peace in those things, things that are not the Creator God, they will always, always, always leave us wanting more. And we'll keep going back to it in an even more unhealthy way 
again and again and again, hoping for the very thing that we can only find in God. Addiction is ultimately rooted in misdirected desire. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 13 now. Verse 13 says, Not many days later, the younger son then gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Here's the next thing I want us to see. Addiction can be fueled by circumstances. Addiction can be fueled by our circumstances. You see, the son's pathway into enslavement was ultimately started by a choice he made that was rooted in misdirected desires. But look at the circumstances of his life that resulted from it. He, he what? He took a journey into a far-off country. He isolated himself from his family, from his father, from his home. Isolation. He then squandered his property in reckless living. He went to a place that would indulge every temptation. He went to Vegas, baby. He went to where he could fulfill all of his desires. And not just that, look what happens at the very end. A severe famine arose in that country. Life got hard. And he encountered trial. And he encountered hardship. A complicating factor of the addictions that we wrestle with is that our circumstances can undoubtedly affect us. Now listen, it is of the utmost importance that we understand that our choices rooted in misdirected desire ultimately hold us responsible for this stronghold. And we need to know that if we are going to see victory over this. But our circumstances, isolation, our culture, this world, trial, hardship, difficulty, these things can cause that existing addiction, that existing stronghold, to take a deeper and deeper root in our hearts. It can cause our circumstances, can fortify this stronghold in our life. And let's just be honest, life is hard sometimes, right? Like this last year, this last year, so, so difficult, just filled with trouble, exhausting, Listen, this past year, drug use, alcohol use, porn use, internet use, all up, all skyrocketing. Why? Because we are looking for in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty, we are looking for comfort. We are looking for relief. We are looking for peace and refuge from the chaos around us, but we're going to all the wrong places. Listen, you have two choices. Real simple. You have two choices to find comfort and relief. You can go to the creation or you can go to the creator. Those are your options. And addiction in the midst of trial and hardship chooses every time the creation over the creator. So addiction can be fueled by our circumstances. Let's keep going. Look at verse 15. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. The last thing I want us to see about this pathway into addiction is this. Addiction always leads to misery. Addiction 
always leads to misery. So to review, the son has made a choice rooted in misdirected desire, and he then isolates himself and makes all the sin that he can access available to himself, and then trial and then hardship fall on him. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to enslave himself. He has hit rock bottom. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country to do what? To feed pigs. And in this culture, this was as low as you could get. To be a Jew in a foreign country working with the most unclean animal. And, and to the people listening to this parable right now, they, were, they would be listening to this parable and Jesus would be teaching it and they'd be like, this is the end, right? This is the end of the story. Like the son's finally getting what he deserves. He disrespected and disowned his own father, wishing he was dead. He goes and squanders his father's hard-earned inheritance. And now he's getting what he deserves. And perhaps even the son in the story is in this rock-bottom place, and he's thinking to himself as he's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Perhaps he's even thinking to himself in that moment, I deserve this. I deserve this misery. I deserve this desolation. Perhaps you are in a spot right now in your addiction, in your enslavement, in the mastery that the sin has over your heart and your life. Perhaps you are in a spot where you're like, I deserve this. And the shame and the guilt are crippling and they weigh on you even right now. It overwhelms you and it hurts the pain. The deceitful nature of addiction is that it promises you fulfillment in those desires. It promises you peace and comfort and relief, but it never delivers on those promises. You see, sin always over-promises and under-delivers. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Always. Always. And it will ultimately enslave you and lead you to a place of misery and desolation. And remember, this, this sin of addiction and enslavement to sin is ultimately rooted in misdirected desire. But listen, what happens when we give in to that desire again and again and again and again is that I want, I want, I want becomes I need. I need. I need relief. I need comfort. I, I need to feel good. I need to feel better. And I want becomes I need because what was once just a desire has now mastered us and has now enslaved us, and we are in bondage to it. And so the question is, is there any hope? Is there a way out? Is there a way out of the stronghold of addiction? Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so the son recognizes how awful his situation is here, that even the servants in his father's house have it better off than him. And so he rehearses this little speech and motivated in part maybe by genuine repentance, but probably just by the desire because he's just hungry 
and he wants to slightly improve his circumstances, he rehearses this little speech and he hopes beyond hope that his father will bring him back in. And I know, listen, I know that so many of us know what happens in these next few verses. But these next few verses never, ever, ever grow old to me. Verse 20, here's where we find hope. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the, father said to him, or the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate. And so is there hope for those trapped and enslaved by sin? Is there a way out of addiction? Is there hope for those mastered by sin? Yes, there is hope, and it is found in the Father. Freedom from addiction is found in the Father. Freedom from addiction is found by making the choice to turn away from the sin that I thought was going to satisfy me and run back to God. Run back to God. You see, the, the father in the parable is our God in heaven, and he is waiting for you to come back home. He's waiting for you to find in him the comfort and relief and peace that you've been looking for. He's wanting to be to you a refuge as you seek shelter from the misery of your addiction. He's calling you back. He's calling us back. Ever since Eden, our God has been calling us back out of isolation, out of idolatry, out of our addictions. He's been calling us back. And, 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 and we keep trying to go back. We kept trying to go back, but we failed, and we failed, and we failed. And, and God saw this, and in his kindness, and in his love, and in his mercy, he sent Jesus for us to redeem us and take us out of our wilderness of sin. And Jesus did this by quite literally going into the wilderness. In Matthew 4, when Jesus goes into the wilderness, he faces trial. He faces temptation. He faces an onslaught of temptation. And does he give in to that temptation? Does he seek comfort and relief and a refuge in creation? No, he trusts in his Father in heaven, the Creator. Where we have failed so many times, Jesus has succeeded. He is perfect. And Jesus, with his perfect record, has become our perfect substitute, and he took upon himself the punishment that all of us deserve for our sin, for our inability to be unmastered by sin. Jesus took upon himself the punishment we deserved, and he died so that we could live. He died so that we could live in freedom. And he didn't just die, he rose again from that grave, conquering sin and death once and for all. And here's the greatest news, I think, for our conversation this morning. It's this, he rose again and he gives those who place faith in him the power of his Holy Spirit. And that's where the hope is found. 
the power of the Holy Spirit so that we would now be enabled and now be empowered to do battle with the sin that faces us instead of resigning ourselves to defeat and bondage to that sin. The, the, the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to battle against our chains and not resign ourselves to the bondage of those chains. Don't you see? Listen, don't you see that this is how much God loves you? Do you believe that this is real? Do you believe that he really sent his son and he really empowers you with his spirit? so that you would be able to see small decision by small decision over the course of your life, victory over sin and increased Christ-likeness as we run back to God, as we run to the Father. Freedom from addiction is found in the Father. And a lot of this sounds great in theory, but what are some practical steps? What are some practical steps we might be able to take right now to move forward out of enslavement to sin, out of addiction, into freedom. You see, we have some choices to make because just as our choices got us where we are right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can make choices to move beyond the bondage of sin that we've experienced. And here's one thing we need to do. We tear down this stronghold when we choose to flee from addiction to the love of God. We choose to flee from addiction to the love of God. And what I mean by this is simple. It's it's repentance. It's, It's repentance. Just as the son turned away from the foreign land and his sin and and the destruction of his life and the misery of his life, and he turned away from that and made a 180-degree turn and ran back to his father, so each and every one of us need to make a 180-degree turn away from our sin and back to God. Live a life of repentance. And it's more than just saying a few quick words at the end of this message. It's, it's, it's a lifestyle. The most vibrant, spirit-filled version of the Christian life is a life of repentance. Moving away from what I want, moving away from what I desire, moving away from what I think I need every single day, every single hour, every single moment, back toward God. And it's a battle. And it's a fight. And it's not easy. I'm not saying that's easy. It's difficult. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it. Listen, I think one of the most devastating and discouraging testimonies someone enslaved by sin can hear is like the testimony of the heroin addict who was like, yeah, man, I did heroin all the time and and I spent all my money on heroin and I stole money from people and I robbed places and I beat people up and, 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 and then I met Jesus and then all of a sudden I never wanted to do drugs again and I was saving all my money and then I started an orphanage and now I barely have to walk because I float everywhere because I'm so holy, like... If that's your story, amazing. Like, praise God. And God is powerful enough to do that. But listen, that's not everybody's story. In fact, I don't think that's a majority of people's stories. Because more often than not, the battle for holiness, beating back temptation and addiction, is not this immediate conquering of sin in one's life. It's not like you're going to make one big decision and see a ton of change. It's the small decisions day after day after day, fleeing from addiction to the love of God, small decisions every day, turning away from what I want, turning away from the creation, back to my heavenly Father, back to the Creator, 
and it's difficult, and we can't do this alone, which is why we need to do this second thing. We need to find a home in the family of God. Find a home in the family of God. Again, just like the son, the son was brought back into the family, and the father, the father was going to celebrate him. And if you even look in verse 24, it says they celebrated, like, 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 like mom was there, and the whole family was there except for one grumpy older brother, you know. And the neighbors were there, and they were celebrating. He was brought back into the family of God. Look around you right now. Like, just take a quick look left and right. This is, this is the family of God. Like it or not, this is what we got, okay? This is what we're working with. This is the family of God. And if you want to see victory over sin in your life, and you want to battle sin in your life, you, we need each other. We need this family. We can't do it alone. We can't do this in isolation. If this is your one interaction with the family of God every single week, it's not enough. You need to get plugged in and connected and in relationship with other people. You need to be known and you need to know other people. An easy way to do that is to join a small group. They're imperfect. They're messy. They're inefficient sometimes. But listen, it's where we try our best to go after relationship and love one another well. And as imperfect and messy as they are, they're oftentimes so beautiful and so life-giving. You know, listen, you might be involved in a small group right now, and listen, are you cultivating in your own small group a, a, a vulnerability and trans transparency in your group? You know, certainly, maybe you're not wrestling with, with being mastered by a sin, but, but, but my hope would be that you've seen God um, have victory in your life in some way, shape, or form, that you would be able to share with your group and encourage other people to say, yes, I was there, but now I'm here, and God can do the same thing in your life. Are you breeding, are you cultivating that kind of vulnerability and transparency in your group, or is it just surface level? And you're just talking about sports and politics and the weather and coronavirus, and then you talk about the sermon a little bit, and you gather once a week for an hour and a half or two hours, and you stamp Jesus on it, and that's good enough. Are you really cultivating a home, a family of God that is vulnerable and transparent, wrestling with these issues and seeing victory over enslaving sin firsthand? Find a home in the family of God for support, for accountability, for relationship. And one more thing, we need to fight to believe the promises of God. We need to fight to believe the promises of God. So at a certain point, the son had to believe when he was away in misery and entrapped that like his father wasn't going to like beat him and, and kill him. He had to believe by faith that that was going to happen. And then imagine like days after he had been received home, I bet he wondered, I bet he doubted, does, does my father still really truly love me? Does he really truly care for me? And he could look to those sandals. He could look at his, at his robe. He could look at that ring on his finger and be reminded and believe that I am truly loved. I am truly accepted. I am truly brought back into this family. He would have to fight to believe the promises of God and not the lies of sin in those moments. And listen, at the beginning of this message, we talked about choices. We talked about choices, and that was on purpose, obviously, because when it comes to addiction, when it comes to enslaving sin, so many of us can find ourselves in a spot where we believe we no longer have a choice. And in a certain sense, this, this, this is increasingly true as we are more and more enslaved to sin. It becomes more difficult to not choose that sin. But listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's never not impossible to not choose sin. We can always choose to not sin. 
Again, I'm not saying it doesn't make it, I'm not saying that that's not going to be difficult. It's not easy to fight every day by the Spirit, to believe the promises of God instead of the lies of sin. The same faith, listen, the same faith that saved you, that you placed in the finished work of Jesus Christ to cleanse you of your unrighteousness and redeem you is the same faith that you need to place in the promises of God day after day after day to see transformation in your life. You know, uh, a few years ago, I was in probably like one of the lowest spots in my life. Um, 31 years old, uh, a pastor, and finding myself increasingly mastered by a sin. And I, I, like I said, I've been in ministry for multiple years. I went to Bible school. I got a biblical studies degree. And during this really dark season of my life, I was like, for the first time ever, introduced into this idea of believing the promises of God and, and, and placing my faith in the promises of God. Here's what I mean by this, okay? Um, throughout God's word, it's loaded with promises, promises for the people of God. And the amazing thing in scripture is that God's word says that all of his promises find their yes and amen in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, his record now becomes your record and the yes and amen now apply to you. And so that for Christians, we can now look at these promises throughout Scripture, and as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we can place our faith that God will be true and faithful to fulfill his promises for his people. Do you believe that? And so these promises in Scripture, we need to hold on to them. We need to memorize them. We need to hide them in our hearts when we battle temptation. Here's what it looked like for me. Psalm 8411. Psalm 8411 was of the utmost importance to me as I was battling against sin's mastery in my life. And it says this, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And I had to believe this promise by faith because I was going after what I thought was good and what I wanted and what I needed and what I thought would satisfy me and what I thought would comfort me. And what God was saying was, no, no, no. Listen, Ryan, I will not withhold good. And what's ultimately good? It's God himself. God's saying, I will not withhold myself from you as you walk uprightly, as you walk in my wisdom. And I had to believe that promise by faith. When I was tempted, when I was lured away to my own desires, I had to believe by faith that God's good was better than the good that I wanted. And, and let me tell you, it, got, it was hard at first, but over time, as God showed himself to be faithful to his promises, it got easier over time and more satisfying and more comfort and more delight and more relief as I sought God to be my refuge, as I ran to the creator and not creation. And listen, you can have that promise. That's yours if you want it. I didn't write it, Okay. You can have it. Mind God's word for his promises. Do a Google search, God's promises for whatever. Talk to one of us pastors at the end of this service. Email us, find a time to connect with us, and we'd love to help you find these promises in God's word for you that you could hold on to and believe by faith and do the hard work of fighting sin each and every day. Would we flee from addiction to the love of God? Would we find a home in the family of God? And would we fight to believe the promises of God? Let us run to God in this moment right now. Freedom from addiction is ultimately found in him. It's found in our heavenly Father. Let's pray.
God, we come before you right now and we are so grateful for your word. And right now I pray, Lord, that your spirit would continue to move in this place and, and, and convict our hearts and draw us back to you in this moment as we seek to have our hope restored, as we seek to go after you and experience the peace and joy and satisfaction that are only found in you. And, and the sin of this world, um, temptation, it always overpromises and underdelivers under and leaves us wanting more. God, you are that more, and you are all satisfying. Would now, even in this moment, would we taste and see that you are good? Would you increase our hunger and our thirst for you in this moment? And would we begin to see the, the shackles and the strongholds of addiction and, and enslaving sin? Would we begin to see them crumble and fall apart? Would we begin to see and taste victory even now? The light at the end of the tunnel. Lord, we need you and we need your, your strength and we need your spirit uh, to, to fill us and to empower us to make these difficult decisions each and every day, God. And we place our hope in you and we thank you for Jesus. Our hope is in him. We pray this in his name. Amen.